the Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with the better mic. It's bot, it's back, and I'm here with Ben Bateman, my co-host. It is our December episode. Tis the season. Christmas gifts abound with multiple preview seasons of multiple sets all at once. And even at the same time, we have uh, um, a massive banning. So Santa brought... Um, uh, you know, grief and, and a bean ban hammer uh, to to move from the format before before these cards were banned. Just so people understand, twenty two percent of the format was just Racto scam decks. I I believe a much higher percentage of the format was being dominated by Fury. Um, and beans beans is probably one of the quickest bans that I can yes, think just, of. In yes, and 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 just so everyone's clear, because the intro you said. Uh, we banned uh, grief and then you said fury it was fury that was the card that was banned both of them were in consideration but in fact fury was the card so don't be confused okay. if you just started the podcast uh grief grief is alive and well and santa has brought us two of the three cards but i i would agree with you look i will eat crow i will eat crow on my beanstalk i didn't i didn't call it as hard as you did i thought that that card was fine and uh it turned out the oh, besiege is just Beseech is just okay, and and Beans was that's that was the card, obviously. (laughs) I totally forgot that on our review episode when we talked about what we thought what the best cards in the set were, and I and I just was like, it's Beans, and it's not close. Everything else is like three times worse than Beans. We did do some misses. There was that like red green adventure card that we didn't even talk about that like ends up being good and seeing modern play. But yeah, Beans Beans was so good that it is one of the quicker bands uh, in modern history, which is, which is interesting. Um, the more, I mean, the, the, the further magic is pushed towards cards that are expensive, but can be cast for some sort of cool alter, alternate cost, which is like a very popular trope in magic. It continues to be something that we like to see more and more as players because it feels powerful. Uh, the better Beanstalk is going to be, which is why banning it now makes sense. Cause like, <laughs> I don't think that's a trend that's going to stop. Um, and yeah, it, so that's that's the news. That's the huge bannings. Modern gets twisted a little bit. We get to have a bit of a conversation today about where Modern is going to be, what we expect to see going forward, the best decks, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, but it's it's good. We're now that Fury's gone. We're back to things just being killed by one damage from Bowmasters and Renin Six, which is uh, you know creature. Well, yeah, that, so that's they're that, That's the thing I wanted to talk about with Fury for sure. Is like. Fury for sure I understand why the ban happened from the scam perspective between it and grief because I think like grief was seeing play in that fashion in a few different decks and has like obviously a more toxic play pattern actively but fury was the card that was providing this like inevitability engine and redundancy to the card that was also providing this like blanket anti-creature strategy like just effect on the format right if you were playing an x1 or or in reality an x2 which i think is the important feature fury was making those cards unplayable and you know when it was banned a lot of people like wait bowmasters is still legal renin six is still legal there are you know uh lava dart (laughs) jokingly is still legal there are a ton of ways that these x1 based decks are just never going to survive now but a, Thalia protects all of them from those spells where they didn't, re- I mean, not Bowmasters, I guess, but beyond Thalia, but I think I, as a joke, I, like wiping out four things on one turn versus one a turn where you can get out from under it and maybe attack into it. And also being able to answer X2s or X3s is a different conversation than what Bowmaster and and Ren and Six are going to continue doing the format. The other thing I would say with both of those cards 
is it's not like those are healthy, but you're not going to start whittling around and getting rid of these cards until without starting somewhere, right? Just because one of them is legal doesn't mean the other two should also be legal. It's let's ban Fury. And then in six months from now, if Bowmasters is just preventing every X1 in the format from seeing play and being a pretty toxic blanket onto the format, let's ban Bowmasters. Also likely to ban Bowmasters when they're not actively using it to sell Lord of the Rings special edition secondary right, printing right. collector booster boxes. I think, um, that's, I think that's a pretty great point. I mean, I think, look, there was a lot of speculation going into this week that it was going to be fury and grief. Uh, I don't think Beanstalk was a sure thing. I think it makes sense. But I, I think that if I was going to rank those, I certainly would have put both creatures ahead of Beanstalk. Um, the reason that I think the decision for fury is made and why it's so significant is that if you compare Grief and Fury, right, like the play pattern in that deck is that you are going to exile a black card to put Grief into play, cast one of the one black spells to get it back. So now you're, you've are you you've spent three cards to get two cards out of their hand and end up with a 3-2 Menace creature, which obviously like if they don't draw a removal spell or have a game plan after getting double thought seized, you'll win in seven turns, <laughs> right? But like, okay, that's unlikely given the fact the power level of the format is so high. They're trusting that top decks are strong, which is why decks like Tron and, you know, just large, good, you draw uh, any Cascade spell in the Rhinos deck and you have eight power. So like, it's not it's not like you're probably going to win with a turn one, three, two menace. On the other hand, with Fury, if they don't have a removal spell specifically for Fury, you're dealing six on turn two. Your clock's almost twice as fast. And if you draw it even on... Both both of the the life saving cards, the things that were bringing Fury back in scam, gave it plus one plus one. So you were you were getting a four four. So you're doing eight a turn. So you are killing them in three swings. It's a three turn clock. And if you don't play it on turn one, right? Like if you're getting it on turn three, half the decks in the format are going to get swept. So whereas I think by turn three, most decks have executed at least the beginning of their game plan, and grief is less good. So in terms of sort of the turn one Fury play is such a beating of a clock. And the turn three Fury play is probably cleaning up the board that it makes me feel like that's the real reason. It's supposed to make creature decks feel a little more fair. And I think as good as the grief game plan is, people could have been doing the like grief ephemerate thing. And that was that wasn't a deck like like when ephemerate got printed, like people were playing around with that, you know, and, and it was like a thing people did. Oh. and It was cute. Isn't a deck as a strong word. I mean, literally, we're, we're a deck we're going to talk about is is a possible home for you know grief moving forward, and that is a Gorio's event. The, the best, the currently best performing list is a Gorio's Vengeance list that's playing Ephemerate right. and Grief and Solitude. But I, I it wasn't, it wasn't a twenty two percent of the format. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. that's the point, right? Like, like good cards are good cards, and I think Grief's a good card, and I think that that's. But I think the point is Fury did. Fury did all of the things overtly powerfully on early, mid, and late game that you don't really want. And that I think it's you can sort of luck sack into a turn three win with Fury without even like anything else going on. And then you could also catch up with it, which I think is probably the biggest reason. You know, and, and I think Wizards wants you to be able to play cool, interesting creature decks. They continue to push tribal and creature strategies in every set. That's a huge focus for magic, right? They don't they don't want, you know, counter spells to be like the name of the game. They don't want like control central strategies to like rule the roost. And, and I think I think like I'll talk about beans in a second. I think there's or not, I guess now it, like beans in some ways to me feels comparable to the birthing pod ban where birthing pod was banned because it was like, OK, this is the best deck in the format. And we're banning Delve cards 
which are currently better than it. But if we ban the Delm cards, then just Birthing Pod is the best deck in the format. Right. Right. And, and in this situation, being if they had just banned Fury and Bean survived, it would just be the death. Like every deck would either be a, it would be a Beans deck. It would either be an Elemental Beans deck or it'll be it would be a Cascade Beans deck. And even in the article, they posted like, hey, right now, this card, this two mana enchantment that just draws a card and then draws you additional cards if you cast big spells is the most played card in the format, not the most played card in the format, sorry, is more powerful than Crashing Footfalls, right? The Cascade decks are deciding, no, we're not going to play eight mana on turn, or in, in eight, eight on turn three, or reanimate the entire field on turn three at instant speed. We're just going to draw a card and then have beans in play, and that's going to outvalue my opponent so much with all my other spells that it's better than those other options. And so, like, from their perspective, in some ways, I feel like it's like, you know what, if we're going to go through the effort to ban scam out of the format and try and reset the format to some extent, this is a card that we're going to have to ban in three months anyways. Let's just ban it now so that the format has the biggest reset we can give it to make it the healthiest environment going into this new season. Add that to the fact that the RCQ season for modern just ended. And so we basically are looking at a nine month break of competitive, modern, high level tournament grinding. Um allows modern basically to go until modern horizons three comes out in a little bit of a like soft adjustment period right there's not going to be a pro tour there's not a moment where a bunch of people are trying to break the format immediately like people will using data but we're not gonna the format's not gonna be solved in the same way that it has been for the last four months yeah i i think as much as i like free spells uh that that you can exile things or pay life for I really do think that the elementals were a mistake. I think that that's it's pretty clear to me as cool as I find some of the abilities. I I think that of all the things that have affected modern negatively or warped it, I think that's probably top of the list for me. I, I think you could have avoided a lot of different things if those cards hadn't been printed. And I just I know why. Don't get me wrong. I completely understand why. And if I was if I was on that design team and I was like, should we or shouldn't we do this? I at the time, I'll bet you I would have agreed we should do this because they seem really cool and they're very flavorful. They feel like they evoke sort of no pun intended classic, you know, magic themes. And and they, they, they very much feel like what you want a cool, powerful cycle to feel like. But the actual effect that it's had on the format has has made modern a completely different animal than it was like it's like they have warped it more than any other card. Uh, this is the thing I love about the elementals. I love that when they are printed, uh, everyone was like, Fury is the worst one. Why would they print this? It doesn't even have flash. Grief is the best one, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 guys, Fury, Fury is the best one. And I was right. You didn't then, say yeah, it was the best. You said you thought it was underrated. I remember the podcast. You said you thought it was underrated, that it was it was probably way yeah, better yeah, than the second best. <laughs> I don't think you said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Let's yeah. go back. Let's, let's pull the tape. Second best, pull whatever. Pull the tape. All right. Uh, yeah, Ben, I just think Fury is the best of all these elementals and is going to be the first one to be banned. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I said that I think it's going to be the first to be banned, but we can move past that. But yeah, so I think I think it's an interesting... This ban feels like it falls suit with Wizards' classic ban strategy, right? Let's get rid of what we feel like a single target high profile thing. We're not going to get rid of both of them. We're just going to get rid of the one. This is the one that feels like it's causing the most damage to the format holistically because Fury was like grief in scam decks is not is a toxic play pattern directly, 
But if it doesn't have the adjacent support, it's not like a wet blanket on an entire format. It's maybe a wet blanket on a single matchup um, versus Fury, which like was being played in eight different decks. And all of those decks were using it to just erase the fact that anything that was playing X1s, X2s, or X3s was unviable in the format. And that's no longer true anymore. So it's really interesting. And if you look at the top, like the list of what decks are seeing the most play right now, it is decks that classically are playing smaller creatures. You know, like Yagamoth is probably the best deck in the format at the moment. And that is classically a deck with a bunch of creatures that Fury ate for lunch. You know, Ignoble Hierarch. Delighted Halfling, uh, Blood Artist is seeing play again, right? Like these cards are are all all seeing play in the deck. You have um, Boros Burn is now doing well again. You have you have what probably is the two best decks in the format at the moment, or what I would say probably the three best decks in the format are Yagmoth, Amulet Titan, and Murktide Regent, um, pretty solidly. With then maybe Hardened Scales or. Um, something else kind of the domain zoo the the crashing footballs decks one of those is probably the next step under that like i don't think the cascade decks are done um though figuring out exactly what they end up looking like or which one's the best one is going to take time now that they don't have fury but i think if i was going to go to turn tomorrow if i was going to go to turn tomorrow i'd take amulet titan i would also tell anyone at any time if you can get really good at playing amulet titan and you can pocket Amulet Titan for the moment that Wizards bans cards that aren't in Amulet Titan, bring Amulet Titan to that event because it just like can win on turn three against opponents that don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and when the <laughs> format's brand new, you're going to run into that more often. It's really powerful. Uh, it's that, that that that's a classic deck that is unless a specific card gets banned out of it, it's a hard deck for uh, any kind of banning strategy to affect very heavily. Um, it's it's mostly based around lands and a big creature that unless becomes oppressive won't get banned. Like, uh, I, I think that it's a it's a pretty safe deck to get good at playing. I also was going to say, if you were giving this advice and I was listening to this podcast and it was like, hey, if you're going to a tournament this weekend, take Amulet Titan. I'd be like, yeah, for sure. I'll go time out every single game one. Uh, I would have I would be so like lost in terms of like the play pattern. I feel like I would tank so hard trying to play that deck without training. It would be tough. That, that's what I was saying is, is, is you <laughs> want to get good at it first, right? Like prep, make sure you know what you're doing, play it correctly. Definitely goldfish it with tons. Well, it's but it's easy. an easy deck to goldfish. It's not a deck that requires a high level of um interaction interaction yeah. right like you're not you're not like what my opponent is doing doesn't affect what i'm doing with this deck what i'm doing with this deck is i'm like making sure i'm sequencing things and and like it's like the fact that it's a deck that can play the one ring um you know it's playing it as a four of the fact that it's playing um just like one of the most powerful creatures of all time and in reality it's playing eight copies of it which is primeval titan and gets the benefit off of Valakut, gets the benefit off of Urza Saga. Like, I think there's a lot of really cool play patterns you're able to do with it. And it can win on as early as turn three, right? So, like, you can have the nut draws on it. And so I think, like, this is a deck that if my opponents have the chance to stumble and I can get good at goldfishing it, I'm going to walk into a format where they're not they're not going to be able to to interact with me very profitably. And I'm going to be able to run away with the game. Can I ask a question that is related to something you just said? Because I've been thinking about this a lot since we opened our Lord of the Rings holiday bundles. Um, okay, the One Ring. 
the card, the power of that card just in a vacuum. And I'm not even just talking for modern. I'm just talking in magic period, right? Like it's a mm-hmm, colorless mm-hmm. card. So it feels like it almost belongs in every single commander deck ever already. Right? Like that's mm-hmm. it's a different conversation. But uh, how powerful is that card compared to the other sort of absurd card of the last 10 years? I'm just going to name a few and you can tell me how you feel about this okay so more okay, powerful so the one than ring compared to other cards printed in the last 10 years power level scale let's go yeah i just want to know okay uh what is more powerful the one ring or oko okay okay so right off the bat okay wow okay okay fair enough i think the one ring is very good uh okay uh, has the, the one, one ring, ring are we in one ring fall have has the one ring been banned out of legacy yet but talk to me when that happens for it to be better right. the one <laughs> ring or uro that's closer oh you don't have I that much think faith i in would one maybe ring. argue that the one ring is more pow- powerful though the cause of that might just because it's colorless like it can be played in any deck which is which is the uh uro required you to be in blue green um or more specific styles of decks needed uro to be good okay i think the one ring is more powerful than uro okay that saying a lot right agreed um okay the one ring or mystic monastery Oh, wait, way better than Mystic Monastery. Oh, 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 sorry. I'm getting it confused. Mystic Monastery is better than the One Ring. The Banned Island? Yeah, 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 that card's not. That card shouldn't have been printed. <laughs> I don't even know why someone thought that that card was okay to print. I, like, it, it is, if I were to pick a lit, like, Oko, I understand why Oko and Uro and even the One Ring were hard to get perfectly right, right? Like, they wanted to push Oko, Oko did something like multiple, like they under, they undervalued how good food tokens and tokens that made artifacts were in general. The fact that like it turned creatures into three threes balanced with how much power and toughness it was getting when it was plusing and minusing like Oko totally understand where they missed the mark there with the one ring, like tapping it, maybe the counter should be on it or is it on you? What's the most flavorful thing? We're also dealing with licensing approval and, and we want this card to be a very good card. So we want it to be pushed to be playable in as many formats as possible, but we don't want it to be broken. We don't be interested. Totally understand. Uro, like we're making this Titan. It's like, it, like we're giving it abilities, but they're worse than primeval Titan. Like it, two mana to draw a card and play an extra land isn't good enough in most formats. So three mana to do it. Who cares? Get it. Uh, I can a fetchable snapcaster mage that's uncounterable. In no universe was that a, an idea that I think was well, it's, it's, it's on top of your library. But 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 I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. That, that that's fair. Who okay. Care? Who cares? You can do fetch. You fetch at instant speed. You know, at the end of the turn. <laughs> um, all right. All right. So uh, it's always that's worse because you get it back. It's it's like eternal witness. Yeah. Uh, okay. Last one. The one ring or fury. I think the one ring is more powerful than fury. That's probably my hottest okay. take. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the One Ring is absurd. I disagree with you on a few of those. I understand your opinion on some of them. I think that con- context has affected your opinion on some of them. But I think the One Ring in time is going to be proven to be absurd. My biggest argument there is just the fact that it's colorless and it can go into any deck. Now, granted, you can't cast it for free and it costs four. And I play more Commander than I used to. So I'm probably more biased because of that uh, that that whole thing. But I still think the One Ring is just absolutely ludicrous. Like, I think that card... So, what, so, so which card 
hit that like and subscribe button, everybody, both on YouTube and TikTok. What, what, which card, uh, which cards that I said were more powerful than the one ring do you disagree on? The one in there that I think I would probably like, like the one I would lean towards, you're probably correct, is Oko. I think Oko's so good and so hard to understand on face value. And again, like I was wrong about Oko, like when it first came out. I think it's a hard card to evaluate right off the bat. If you show that to somebody at the time, obviously it was because it's not like when they previewed it, everybody was like, this is the best playing market that's ever been printed. We all we all were like, oh, this will be cool to play with. And then it turned out to be the best ever. Um, I, would, I don't know. I would give you a pass as someone who rubs in when you're wrong regularly. Yeah. I am. I will give you a massive pass on Oko because you, I believe, had back surgery like the week it was after it was previewed and it was previewed without whole, context like, of what food tokens were. And then prior, like yeah. three months later, you were like, oh, is Oko seeing play? And we we're like, yes. And you're like, oh, I haven't paid attention to magic. For that. I, I'll give you a pass on that. Yeah, that that's the probably the card in there that I think I can agree is like the most egregious. I don't agree with you on Mystic Monastery. I, I think that card's really great. I think it's very powerful. I think it's maybe comparable in, in its power. I think I guess I guess context is everything and the right sort of the right combination of cards makes the idea that that's a fetchable effect of high power like like very very good but i just i've played a lot of powerful formats and that card's available to me and i i always find when it's available to me it's always like a little slower than i want it to be is, is always how i feel like it ends up being it's like very good and i play it it's in all the decks it's in my highlander decks it's in my commander decks and it's to some degree in my modern decks when i brew but it's well it was so, in, 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 <laughs> in the old day um but I, I, like i'm not saying it's bad i just think i don't think it's a snap judge like your your point there to me is that i think the only one in there that's clear to me is oko the ways that you can interact with different cards affect what their power level is and i think the fact that you can't with uh mystic monastery right the fact that it is island yeah a guaranteed every game when you want it tutorable effect that is free to play in a color that wants it anyways like i i think that's different than and I think it's a mistake, right? Like, I, I think like, like, I don't think the one ring, I think the one ring like overstepped maybe in power level a little bit and and we'll see, like time will tell. It's not yeah. banned yet. Uh, sure. And like, I think that the, this card needs to be banned feature for the last few months is wrong. Uh, to be honest, I would guess that it is likely, well, I think there's a chance that there it's banned in commander before it's banned in uh, modern. And I think in both cases, it's like, I don't think it's going to be banned before modern horizons three comes out uh, unless something drastic happens in the next three months. And I don't think, but I do think in commander, it's a little bit more of a over indexing card and it, because of the color pie features of commander, it has a higher chance of being like dominant in a problematic way there. Um, I think it's benefited in a commander by just being expensive, right? Like a lot of, cards are not banned in commander as quickly as you would expect because their cost $50. And that means most players aren't playing with them. I think the split also, I think the split also favors. Okay. So in the conversation we're having mystic monastery is going to be a more powerful card in a, in a format like modern because of the fact that it's a land that it's fetchable and it's efficient. Whereas you can play, you can play the one ring in every single commander deck. And I think that that just in itself, the ubiquitous quality of the power level there is something I'm, focusing a lot on so i i think if you're really going to break it down to formats if you're going to focus on this podcast which is a, a classically modern podcast then i think there's no question monastery is more powerful but if you're talking all right magic, like, like mon mon monastery in commander you only have access to 
at most four of your lands can fetch it. And those four lands like are four of your 40 mana, 40 land mana base, not four of your 24 mana land mana base, right? They're not a, yeah, a six of your mana base. They're a tenth of your mana base. Yeah. Right? So, so versus in modern where your mana base is 50% fetch lands or feasibly 50% fetch lands and the rest are shock lands that are also island, right? Like the, the feasibility of making that land work in modern is just feasible versus in commander where it's a lot harder to make that card viable just due to the singleton nature of the format and the hunter card nature of the format. So yeah, I, I agree that in commander, yeah. the one yeah. ring and on the reverse end, the one ring is more powerful in commander because you have 40 life, right? That's one of the reasons I also think you could argue you can ban it is like, right. I mean, you've got, you've got 40 life for a card that costs four and is colorless in a format where everybody's playing multiple things that get you to format on turn two versus mystic monastery, which in a modern deck if you're playing, you know, and most of them aren't, but let's just say you were playing 16 blue fetches, 25% of your deck can get this thing. If you're playing four fetches out of 100 cards, you're scaling so far in the other direction. Like, it, it's not even really a comparable thing. That, I guess that's the point, but but I, I I think your assessments are pretty accurate. That's just the one that I think I would, I'd be split on. But we can both agree Oko's absurd. Yeah, back to the conversation. Okay, so so what are the best decks currently in for us? So we talked about so we talked about um, specifically Amulet Titan. Amulet Titan is definitely just the deck that you want to enter a format that no one knows what they're doing. Do I think Amulet Titan in the long run is going to be the best deck in the format? Probably not. Um, it classically doesn't survive once there's a mid range deck that can you know out removal it and out value it. Um, it's just that deck. We don't. No one knows what the best version of that deck is. This is the reason Mono Red is the most prolific Pro Tour deck of all time, because in a Pro Tour, when a Pro Tour is coming right after a new set release and the format's totally new and no one knows what deck is good, what deck's different, playing Burn is going to beat people that didn't build the perfect oh, deck yet without the enough time to iterate on it. Uh, and I think Amulet fills fills a similar spot. I do think that Yagamoth might come out as the best deck in the format, though. The fact that it has Agatha's Soul Cauldron that just like up jumped the combo that much farther. The fact that it's one of the best Orgish Bowmaster decks. The fact that it doesn't have to deal with the pressure of, you know, having um, for it, the fact that it was already Fury resistant. It was already good in a format where Fury was everywhere and now doesn't have Fury that it needs to worry about. Yes, all of its little one ones are murdered by Bowmasters, but it's a playing its own Bowmasters and B a lot of those excellent are pretty resistant, you know, young wolf and strangle root guys both like can handle it. Uh, it's playing delighted halfling. So, uh, which is, you know, a one, two, not a one, one or a zero one. Um, so I think, I think it has the potential to continue being, you know, very consistent, very powerful and without cascade decks kind of being out there and, and the, the four color beans decks outvaluing it, it might have a potential to, to do really well. I think that a deck that is profiting off of recursive creatures, uh, it just in general, is going to be good against things that want to kill X ones. So I think, like you mentioned, Strangleroot and Young Wolf are are strong contenders. But it's just it's just not a deck that's that worried about its creatures dying a single time. It, it's pretty resilient. The deck is almost constructed to take advantage of that. And so I think that in general, it we we've said before on here, right? Like Yogmoth has flavors of the old Birthing Pod decks, and the old Birthing Pod decks. If you could keep all creatures off the battlefield, you could kill them all at all times, then you'd win. But if you were just going to remove the odd creature here and there, they were still going to beat you. 
they were going to outvalue you. There was every creature in the deck had some kind of ETB value, 187 sort of a thing. And that's what the Yawgmoth deck feels like to me. And I agree, Soul Cauldron pushed the deck way, way, way far over the top. Um, the card is just very, very good. And yeah, I mean, Halfling, obviously being a 1-2 does matter, as you mentioned. Uh, it's interesting that the deck is, you know, is playing a lot of Grist. Um, obviously, like, it... it it's making a one one when it makes that that creature, but you're getting a lot of value out of Grist. I think that I think well, that, that, that um, it's just the best version of Maelstrom Pulse, right? Which all these other cards we mentioned, right? Like it, it's it's three mana. Um, when it comes into play, you may sacrifice a creature. And when you do destroy a creature, a planeswalker, and or you start generating value, and you can use it. You can Eldritch Evolution for it into play. Like it just triggers off of things in a way that's really helpful to the deck. So it, I'm not I'm not surprised. Uh, Grist, Grist always feels really good in this deck. Um, yeah, it's grindy. It's a very grindy deck. I mean, it's it, it is it is the most birthing pod deck we have in Magic today. The 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 third deck I want to talk about is like what I think what I think what most people expected to come out swinging is uh, one of the better decks in the format. Um, is Murktide region, you know, uh, just just blue red tempo play. Uh, something that's gained recently is it does have preordain now. Um, sick, in sick. the format, which is obviously oh, a big dude. boon to just anything that wants to be playing cantrips, says does this deck. Um, you know, it has the Ragavan Rage Channeler thing that was definitely being hurt by how many furies we're seeing play this deck does to me feel like it's still pretty weak to bowmaster and i don't think a format like the one we're running into is going to be not playing as many bowmasters as possible so in in that way i do think this deck is hurt and like i don't think ragavan is like making a comeback without fury right that's the exact card that bowmasters being in the format to be honest, that's the exact card that I think Bowmasters was designed specifically to be good against, right? In some ways, yeah. I feel like Bowmasters was someone sat down, asked Andrew Brown, hey, we need a card that's good against Ragavan. What do we design? <laughs> and then they made they made Bowmasters. So um, and the Dragon Ray Chandler doesn't fall, fall, you know, like, yes, you can turn on um, Delirium, but I think that Dragon Ray Chandler is also still weak to a Bowmasters early. So I think this deck to me. I would be wary of uh, blue, blue, red Murktide um, of the different decks. It's the one that feels like it's the most hurt by the cards that are still going to be really omnipresent in the format um, more than anything. I will say, or Ben, I, I, I have a, I have a, an alternative blue based deck I want to talk about, but any thoughts on Murktide? I think they should be playing four copies of Leyline of Vitality in the main deck so that all of their X1s are x2s and there's nothing that bowmasters can do about it boom no, you heard that. Hurt, guys. I, have an, I have an answer for that what you do is you play death shadow instead and you play your own four bowmasters and you play this demir death shadow list that top aided uh a modern league and it's playing four death shadow four orcish bowmasters four merc tide snapcaster mage and then all of the blue black removal interaction spells under the sun so it's basically merc tide but it's Death Shadow Murktide, not Ragavan Murktide. I think your I think your point's pretty sound. I mean, Murktide is is the current strongest iteration of the classic Isit deck we've had over the last ten years of modern. We've always had one, and you know it's currently the best one. Um, it various versions of it can be hurt by different formats, right? Like 
obviously things that kill X1s can hurt it. If you can kill the graveyard, Merktide is quite bad. Um, so, you know, when the when, when graveyards are big in the format, this deck is worse. But I think overall, the power level, if you don't get thwarted too hard, is just pretty high. And I think Fury not existing is there. It's just a little bit less oppressive against this deck. And I agree, preordain. Can I ask you just your, I know we're both blue mages. We've both played a lot of one mana cantrips. What's the best version of preordain? What's the best version to have in your deck? Like the artwork version? Yeah. Like, like what is your? Oh, I mean, oh, oh. We've all played. Uh, it. It's, what's the, your, it's the 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 secret layer preordain, right? Secret layer preordain. So what so I mean? maybe my like hot deep tick deep cut take. Okay, the one okay. that I've wanted to play in modern for like thirty years and haven't been able to because it's been banned since the format started. And now that there's a bunch of cool ones, I'm never going to play because the cool ones are better. But it's the Venser versus Koth Alter Art Venser preordain. That is that was the best preordain up until this moment. If you wanted the deep, the deep cut uh uh thing, but the like the the there's like that really fire stained glass spacey looking preordain from Secret oh. Lair that's like Whoa. really up there Venture. for me. Venser versus Koth, like like the world is like shaping that preordain. Oh my god, I'm looking at this right now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. In a world where magic cards all looked like standard magic cards, all right, like where like the art just like the individual artwork on the card is what matters not the like fact that you know we are we're we're out here with doctor who preordains and super promos that like um, i hope they have the secret layer promo on on screen so you can see it i, I hope we have both i hope we have the venture one and that one because obviously the secret layer one stunning actual piece of art really really cool Do you uh, own one but yeah i think one too but but you want the deep cut one, you want the hard to find one, the one that no one actually remembers exists, but like has been around and I've pocketed for years. Venser versus Koth preordain. Easy. They printed old border preordain in the Brothers War Commander deck, which I which I play, which is pretty cool. And you can get a borderless foil, I think, from a Commander Masters or maybe no, Commander Legends is what it was. Um, but anyway, there have been a couple of versions printed recently. But yes, going back to the, our point a second ago about uh, Merktide, I do think that Preordain existing in that deck is strong. And I, I think that that deck, I think that deck's a real contender. I would I would guess that that deck probably with the with this banning ends up in the top three. I don't know quite how high, but I would I would guess it to be a top three finishing deck moving forward. It feels like it's right in that range. I think people. I think it's always been one of the best decks, right? Like it, it's so powerful. It just it has direct weaknesses of the format to to the point where if it didn't, it would just be the best deck of the format. Like there's a reason this isn't the best in the format because what it's doing is like over and beyond powerful, and that is the fact that just Bowmaster and good removal eats this deck up. And Yagmoth having a much higher like the fact that Yagmoth is playing for Bowmaster and playing for Grist like is not. A good look for this deck the fact that you know i i do think stuff like amulet titan can get under this deck like i think there's there's a lot of stuff in its way and it's one of the reasons i really like this death shadows list this blue black death shadow list that's playing the murktide game plan but none of like it but it's just like you know if you can't beat bowmasters join it and it's instead of having ragavan who's weaker now having bowmasters and Thoughtseize is going to do a lot more work Speaking of of other decks that are kind of getting under stuff, uh, Hammer Time is another deck I think that like just continues to be what it's always been. It hasn't gained anything overtly super powerful. Um, it just you know it lost one of its big prey. Like Fury no longer exists, so it no longer has to worry about having its little board of of equipment 
themed core uh, and pure steel paladins eaten by a fury. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really lose a whole lot. Um, I think the I mean, looking at some of the lists that have been popular for a while, cards like Surge of Salvation that are like four ofs in the popular lists, that's a clear reaction to Fury, right? So um, obviously, I guess you can play Surge of Salvation if you want to protect against Bowmasters and I guess Ren and Six still, but really it feels like the, re- the reason Surge was the card was because you had so many Furies running around. Um, otherwise, though, the list is pretty stock. Like that, it, it hasn't been that unchanged for like the last six months. It's almost the exact same list it has been the whole time, and it was always good, right? If you don't have something that stops from being good, and I do think stuff like Giver to Runes gets a lot better now, right? When Fury was targeting four creatures at once, Giver to Runes wasn't very good at countering it, but now when Giver to Runes has to fight against the Bowmaster, it's a lot stronger at being able to fight that off. You're not also the fact that it's a one, two helps protect it against Bowmasters and themselves and then protect your other cards from it. So I think, I think there is just a lot more resilience to once a turn or minimal a turn damage givers versus something like fury, which is like, sure you can protect your personal paladin, but everything else you have is dead. Um, the other the other one that I've seen a lot of people playing is Tron, actually. And obviously this was like the first thing right out of the the launch of Lord of the Rings that like the best deck at taking advantage of the one ring. Um, I, I don't think that's changing. <laughs> yeah. um, and the big the big thing for Tron is I, I think, you know, it got a lot of benefits from being able to out resilience people with the one ring and Karn and that I think is going to continue I think that it is it's easiest prey which is like you know random mid-range decks aren't going to be that around <laughs> so uh that definitely is losing the fact that the two main things that were removed from the format were things that mid-range decks were relying on um and so I wonder in a world where Murktide, Amulet, Titan, and Yagamoth are all three decks that just like can outrace Tron doing whatever Tron is doing a lot faster than Tron is doing it. Feels to me like it's unlikely that Tron for a long time ends up being the best deck, though I do think people are going to jam it and it's not bad starting into the format. Go back to Barcelona. I mean, you're you're going back a few months, but the, you know, Lord of the Rings enters the format. I mean, what's happened since Lord of the Rings in a major way in modern? You have one or two cards from the last couple sets, but nothing in term nothing has been game breaking really since other than Beanstalk and, and Beanstalk was banned. <laughs> so if you're talking about the deck that was the best other than Scam, it was the deck that lost in the finals to Scam at the Pro Tour. And so with Beanstalk gone um, and Fury gone, now you've got the the best thing that was printed since and one of the best cards, if not the best card in the deck that beat it. I would say... I think you're almost underselling Tron. Us talking about it fifth is almost like this might be a top two deck. This was like, this was like, if you watch those matches and I watched that whole top eight, I mean, the thing that was so good about it was that it was a great top deck matchup against grief. You know, they'd get rid of your best thing and then you would just like top deck your big threat and just play it (laughs) and just beat them. And grief's still legal. And people will still try to find ways to take advantage of it. So I, I think Tron's a really smart play here. I think it's one of the best decks for sure. Sure. Top sure. couple. And okay. So, and now, now the last deck I want there's, and there's other decks, obviously there's one deck I want to talk about. And it's kind of the big feature of it is like, where does grief go from here? Right. Cause that, that's kind of the big conversation immediately after, you know, the, the big loss for black red is that 
the redundancy. I mean, we talk about this all the time of having, you know, you want eight of a thing, right? And so in the black red decks, having four fury, four grief allowed you to go and then, you know, four to tw- 10 of any of the one drop um, when this creature dies, bring it back effects, the undying effects was allowed you really, really good redundancy, really, really good consistency of turn one, getting an evoke creature into play. Fury's gone, which basically means the deck shouldn't play red anymore. But then you look at what are the other options? Green isn't good enough. Like a graveyard hate on turn one for a three, four is a lot of work for something that's not really hating your opponent out of the game. It's a great sideboard card, very powerful card, but not not to build an entire strategy around. The blue one is extremely reactive. It's a counterspell, so you can't really play it in this play pattern. And if you do, you just get a three, three, which isn't good enough which then leaves Solitude, which is definitely the best one. A one drop, a, uh, uh, a one creature removal spell isn't obviously as powerful as like a possible board wipe. A 3-2 lifelink isn't as powerful as a 4-4 double strike. It's a much more easily to interact with card, but I think this is obviously where it's going. And you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that that's where people started, right? When people first saw these decks, they were like, oh, Ephemerate. Now you don't need to use the graveyard. So it's better against graveyard hate grief and solitude were like out the gate what everyone expected were the best two cards of the, of the strategy let's go after this and and it eventually came out period was better the the scam decks ended up being just that much more powerful the black red shell with bow matches being our just became such a massive powerful game plan but now we're looking at black white and the best deck that we've seen so far that's top aided with this shell is the gorios vengeance atraxa based decks partially because atraxa is kind of fulfilling that same role that um, Omnath fills in so much of the format and so much of the four or five color decks, which is it can be attracts can be exiled to both grief and solitude. And then also plays in the game plan of if I can discard this using many of the different ways to do that attracts is such an amazing reanimate target for something like Gorio's vengeance. And then being able to then Gorio's vengeance attracts and then ephemerating attracts to be able to get double hits on its inter battlefield effect is just so powerful that you're actually, you know, now you're creating a strategy that all the little pieces are working together in a really powerful way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I think actually, you know, Goria's Vengeance in general as a card is a, is something that was really powerful. Probably what? How long ago were, were the, the Grishol brand X? It's like five years ago, I think. It's been a long time since that was a big piece of the format. And I think it's one of Modern's more powerful things that that, that Modern can do. And it's also something that I think with so much focus being placed on consistently powerful legendary creatures being prioritized because of commander printings. It's something that we have needed to keep our eyes on for a while. And so I think that the more times that a powerful legendary creature gets printed into modern, the more powerful Gloria's Vengeance gets. And there's just a high, high premium on those creatures being focused on. So I do think that, that this, you know, this deck is really interesting. It's playing some things that we haven't totally seen for a little while obviously atraxa being a card that is is insanely busted and powerful and as you mentioned i think you mentioned a second ago pitches really nicely to those those free evoke spells so you get a lot of value out of it i mean i've been toying around with the goria's vengeance deck myself to something different but you know one of the, the most powerful cards from um lost caverns is you know the new galta right it's 12 12 trample but it's legendary <laughs> and that card is really good. And if you can get that card just into play off of Agoria's Vengeance, not only do you get a 12-12 trample, but if you're playing some sort of deck that's taking advantage of big creatures, 
you attack for 12 with haste and end up with probably an additional 10 power left on the battlefield. That's that's the deck I've been toying around with trying to play and take advantage of. So it's unsurprising to me that, you know, Goria's Vengeance is a card that continues to to, to swing around. I think this, this deck you're talking about is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's an interesting deck. I mean, there's definitely some some like the fact that it's playing four Fable of the Mirror Breakers and it's the only red card. It's only castable off of a Blood Crypt and a Ragrome Triumph. It's also playing two through the beach of the sideboard as its additional red cards. Um is wild to me. <laughs> sure. Like the fact that you're like leaning, like this could just be a straight Esper list without basically any effort. And like, yes, you're playing Leyline Binding, but I don't count that as like adding those colors. That's just for getting you know a triumph gets there for free but the fact that you're going like fable of the mirror breaker is so powerful and we mentioned it earlier that just like easily one of the most powerful cards in the format that you're just playing four of them in your esper deck because it just needs that value there is is one thing i think that like is and, and part of it is it's it's a discard effect right you may discard uh up to two cards as its second ability is one of the ways you're getting stuff into your graveyard and it just might just be the best discard outlet in the format it's playing that, and then Tainted Indulgence is its other main uh, discard effect. Uh, do you discard off of Shadow Prophecy? I don't know. You look at top X cards. You look at domain cards, then you mill stuff. So then you also have the Shadow Prophecy to mill at instant speed. But um, it's definitely what, like, I just Fable and Nearbreaker is good enough. You just got to play it. It is, I guess, other also benefiting, like, the fact that Atraxa has 15 creatures, uh a bunch of instants a bunch of enchantments and some artifacts to be able to hit off of i just wonder if there's like a better discard outlet that's in your colors maybe yeah maybe i mean not. i don't know uh i i've been looking i've been looking up a lot of different discard outlets as i mentioned looking through the deck list that i've been trying to build myself and you know like there's there's five or six probably really strong ones in modern that are that are consistent uh indulgence is really really good that that one's really strong uh I don't know if it would work in this deck really, but I've been working on that card. Uh, what's it called? Not bitter ordeal, but um, bitter reunion. You remember the brothers war card, the, the limited one, red yeah. one enchantment, discard one, draw two. And it has the sacrifice. So your creatures get haste clause, which in Goria's vengeance decks is, is, is cool. Cause like, obviously, you know, you get to cast things for free off of any, any of these ways you're with a track that you're taking advantage, you're getting things for free. Um, so that, that's like one the sort of one I settled on, but yeah, there's, there's not as many insane. Like this is something I asked you about the other day when I was looking this up. So Goria's Vengeance, admittedly, one of the best, you know, reanimator spells ever, right? It's very unique. It's not something that Magic's design has gone back to the well on very many times. What are the best reanimate spells in modern? Like, like what what do you think are the top five? Like if and no no order, but like what do you yeah, think yeah. are the five spells? Uh persist, Goria's Vengeance. Uh, I still think Umbarrier Rights is up there. I agree. No, I agree. Um, Karmic Guide. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It's it, it it's unique. You like there are decks that will play it just because it's yeah. combo. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it. Like you use it as a part of the combo, as part of the reanimate. Um. It's like it's like it's like footsteps of the Gorio number five or no. something. I mean, it's bad. No. But it's like is Yagamoth playing something that does like does some version of like a yeah I mean I think I think like I think at that point you like get the not claim but like you know the what's the what's claim based off of I'm forgetting the one mana cycle 
on Earth is in the format right now. Sure, no, no, like, but, but, hang on, hang, hang, wanna... but hang on, hang on, because claim fame on Earth, if you're going to go for situational ones that are like three CMC or two CMC, I mean, you know, Renegade Rally or like I'm all about cards like that. I love those cards. Those are not reanimator cards. Those are situational. Everything else you mentioned. Guess, oh, 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 it's living end. Sorry, living living end yeah. is number. That's, living that's end might be number one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Living end is that's number the one. Other one. I think I think those are probably the five. I think footsteps is probably like sixth or seventh because it's slow, but it is still a uniquely powerful card that like is getting a creature into play from your graveyard for three mana. So like if there is something you're trying to take advantage of for that, uh, it's the other one. But it's the point is you're we're, you're searching for five and we're talking about or at least I'm talking about footsteps as the sixth or seventh. And that means modern just doesn't have. Animate dead. It doesn't have dance the dead. It doesn't have reanimate. It doesn't have well. It doesn't have sure, uh, yeah. what's it called? Dread, Dread returns band. Like 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 a lot of the really good ones that have been printed over the years are not in modern. It's actually shocking that the format has now been around and is legal, dating back almost thirteen years, and we just struggled to come up with five. It, it's proof that Wizards doesn't aggressively print them. You know, persist is. Persist is really good, but Persist doesn't target legendary creatures. It doesn't work right, with a trap, right. right? Like you can't you can't get a lot of the, the the bonkers effects that you want out of Persist. I like wonder the one I think that they might be able to print is the opposite of Persist. It's the three mana. I'm forgetting what it is called. Um, loyal retainers. Yeah, loyal retainers. I think I loyal I retainers would be an interesting modern card to add in a modern a horizon set. Four doesn't it cost four? It costs three. three. Oh, yeah, you yeah, play yeah. It more. for sure. It costs me because you can Sun Titan loop it. You can play Sun Titan, get it, use that to get a, a legendary creature spell. Obviously, you can't get Sun Titan with it, but Sun Titan now exists yeah, yeah, yeah. and can attack every turn to keep buying it back. Um, That's a cool idea. Yeah, I think I think that would be if I were to pick a reanimate spell that I think would be fun to have in modern. I think that isn't there already. Loyal Retainers is up there. Um, I like that. Card. I don't I mean, think. I, I, it's, I was going to say, I think it's one of the cards that, um, I mean, your Loyal Retainers is from a set called Portal Three Kingdoms, which for anybody listening to this, you may be completely unaware of this set. It's like a very fringe, very weird set that was the third set in Portal, which was introduced in 1999, I think, as an introduction magic set, like it called Power and Toughness, Attack and Defense. And the third version of this was called Portal Three Kingdoms which had like a very, I believe, Chinese uh, inspired whole background. Um, so all of the characters, the names, uh, horsemanship was an ability. Some of those cards have been reprinted, but very seldom. Imperial Seal classically is the most famous. There's very few cards from the set that actually are good enough to be competitive. Um, Seal is the most. I, I think probably Loyal Retainers is close to the second. You have... You have a bunch of cards that are functional reprints of other cards you'd know. So, for instance, there's like a Portal Three Kingdoms version of I mean, like Time Warp Scene Modern Play. There's Mystical. There's each of the five tutors, right? There's Mystical Tutor. Uh, no, different Portal sets. So, so Three Kingdoms has oh, okay. Three Kingdoms has like Ravages of War, which is Armageddon. It's the same card. It's got sure. like a Final Fortune variant. It's not an instant speed card. It has it. It has a bunch of cards that are playable. There's a Time Warp. Um, point being, it's just they didn't print that much of it. Even the booster pack structure was bizarre. You would get 60 booster packs in a box. And I think they were like sure. 10 cards maybe, but it was heavily underprinted. It's extremely rare. And uh, very few of the cards have gone on to be playable. Most of them are like collectible or at least serviceable. But 
Loyal Retainers is actually one of the few cards that's like really cool and interesting. It's like a really well, interesting and, card. And and a few have been added to the format, right? Imperial Recruiter is a originally a people card right now, and it was originally a card from this set, right? There, so it's not like there there's not a precedent for these types of cards being added to the format and not and being powerful. I think it's a cool, no, I think it's a cool idea. I think I'm more meant to explain like P3K is a bizarre piece of magic history that we just we we rarely see pieces get reprinted. And I think uh, sure. I, I do think that that uh, retainers is one of the cards that's the most unique because we haven't there isn't like a there's not a functional reprint or something that really functions like it. Yeah, no, it's it's like very specific. And for people who don't know our audio listeners, it's three mana, two and a white. Um, and you may sacrifice it before the combat step to um, return a legendary creature from your graveyard to play. Uh, it's a free sacrifice. You don't have to tap it. You just you can do it the turn it comes into play. It just happens to happen before combat, um, which is a type of wording that is very common in, in, in three, uh, kingdom, uh, three Kingdoms. But um, yeah, I think, I think like that's the reanimator spell. I think also it brings it to white. Like it's not in black along with like it keeps it separated. And I like, I think, I like the modern framework of white being centered around the reanimation effects and then other colors being good at getting stuff in because white's so bad at getting stuff into the graveyard, right? It doesn't have that many discard outlets available to it. Uh, obviously, old ones do, but and over the history of the set, there has been. But for the most part, you're pretty safe. Um, but I think that white getting that effect would be really interesting for the format and, and yeah. kind of puts it at odds with persist, right? Like it had then you like then you kind of have those at odds. The worst case scenario that is you just have turn three grizzle brands really easily, right? That's the 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 negative is turn three grizzle brand or turn three Elishnorn just in play. Um, and can the format handle that? Probably. I mean, I don't I don't know if it's that that much better than what we're looking at with the deck that we just talked about. So um I think turn yeah, I think I think like I think if you're talking about turn three, maybe game one, you get a great hand and your opponent gets caught with their pants down, but you're, you'll lose that graveyard hate, yeah. Graveyard, graveyard hate, like, so strong, yeah. yeah. So oh, I think, like, and if you look at what, like, you know, Gorio's Vengeance or not Gorio, the Cascade decks are doing. Those are all turn three. Yeah, they're all turn three. Know, turn, turn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting a big thing that wins you the game if they untap with it on their next turn on turn three is now what modern looks like. So I, I agree. I think I think you could probably pull it off. And and there's tons of ways to interact with that 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 world in the format. But yeah, I think okay. I think like if if you were looking to continue scamming, I think that this Gorio's Vengeance list is exactly where I would start. Uh, and then there's a link below to kind of get to it if you uh want to see the list. Cause it's not it's not like the other lists we talked about are like metagame defining. This is definitely a new a new tech world uh that is really cool. Agreed. Agreed. So that about wraps us up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. There will be a part two where we go over some of the pioneer bannings, pioneer unbannings, and also kind of the concept of what a uh, re a remastered set is as we get ready for Ravnica remastered. Uh, so make sure to like and subscribe to hit that up. Also, if you haven't checked it out, we have a Spyx family game that we launched uh, this season. You can buy it on BarnesandNoble.com. So uh, if you like the anime, it's a really cute anime. If you haven't watched it, you should definitely go check it out. Even if you haven't watched it, it's a really fun game. It's a social deduction-esque game, something in the kind of love letter meets poker meets coup. Uh, so if you want a board game like that, it's really simple. It's only $15. You can buy it on barsandnoble.com. Also, we launched a new Sonic game uh, that's coming out in, in uh, February, so keep an eye out for those news. Uh, and then obviously hit that like subscribe button. Please comment below with what um, 
Monodeck you're most excited to play going into the new format, and we'll see you all next week.